0: This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Ross on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Welcome to another Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Stacy Ross. He's Jake Heaps, and we have a guest today.
2: The one and only.
1: One and only Lydia Cruz. Wow, thank goodness there's only one. Yeah. <laughs> we wish there were
3: more. Yeah. No, you know you don't. No, you don't. Stacey. One one is enough right now. Thank you. Yeah. Or maybe always. Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> all right, that. debatable, debatable. Okay.
1: Lydia, I'm not going to lie. I did not watch the game this morning.
3: It's all right. I approve of honesty, first of all. And okay, yeah, thank I was you. It's kind of a hard It's an important ask. policy. It is, and it was a hard ask getting up at, yeah, 2.35 for first pitch. That's yeah, 1.30 rough. play-by-play.
1: It's a lot. That's uh, yeah. a lot of
2: dedication right there, and I'm right there with you, Stacey. Yeah. I was looking at the updates, and I had the game recorded, looking to watch the game, uh, but I did not stay up like I told you I would. I'm, I yeah, you, right. Stacey. I just yes. want
1: you to know that
3: you told Salk yesterday <laughs> that Uh-oh. you would. So you kind of you kind of made a promise. Here's the thing, though. Salk also said that he was going, and he didn't. And he didn't exactly. So. I feel less bad oh, about it. Then. Yeah. Okay. That was admitted today, so it's okay. I Good. mean, it was. It, it's honestly not that far off from where I get up normally to come to work. Yeah, that's true. Which is true. usually three thirty. So. Really, it was a treat to have baseball coming through my speakers on the way to work. My show, The Blitz, was preempted, and it was for the best reason possible, which was the Mariners won.
1: No, and that brings us to our timeline, because we've got some takeaways.
3: First things first
1: on the timeline, the Mariners beat the Oakland Athletics 9-7 on opening day. The Mariners sit atop the AL West. Hello, let's AL West go. leaders right now. Uh, Marco, MLB Gon- leader, MLB so, leaders. You're right. You're right. You're oh. right. You're right. Uh, Marco Gonzalez had a strong uh, last three innings after um, a bit of an erratic start through the first three. Uh, Domingo Santana hit a grand slam in the third to give Seattle the lead. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Tim Beckham's bat
3: flip after a home run. Bat flip heard round the world. Okay. Made many, many a fan upset who is, you know, just not a fan of fun or yeah, good times. Exactly. Who's mad at a bat flip? Uh,
2: yeah. Oh, there's a lot of people there's actually. Lot, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of people in really? baseball. Yeah. They they, Why? they view it as just showing off and, and it's See, interesting. If I hit a home yeah. run,
1: I'm doing a bat flip. Like I'm doing a bat flip if I hit the ball.
2: Are yes. you gonna do the stare down? Stare down. Yeah, you're gonna stare down the, the oh. opposing dugout.
1: Um, I don't know if I'll do that, but I'm absolutely rushing the mound. If if if, if, if a pitch comes near me and I feel like it's personal, mm-hmm. game over. Yeah, it doesn't even have to hit you. Is what you're saying? You're just gonna, yeah. You're just going to go for it. He's like, "Yo, what are you doing?" It's just a, it's, it's a, a single pitch. It's a ball. It's a ball. <laughs> and I'm like, "Let's go! Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: Let's do this!" I like that.
2: Yeah, it's it's uh, good for Marco, Marco Gonzalez. This was a big moment yeah. for him after overcoming Tommy John surgery three years ago. Now having his first opening day start I mean that's pretty cool and and you know he talks about in interviews earlier today just about his emotions and the roller coaster that he was going through. Yeah. So uh, I love the fact that it might have started rocky, but that he finished strong. Uh, that, to me, tells me a lot about that individual as a player, as an athlete. Uh, and and that gives me excitement to see how he's going to develop as one of the main one or two uh, starting pitchers in the rotation uh, moving forward through the season and how he is able to, to continue to develop because he's still a young player that we're counting on in the later years.
1: Absolutely. Gave up just one hit and no runs over the next three. He talked with you guys this morning on Brock and Sauclid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from that? Biggest takeaway,
3: yeah. He is He's a guy that will, he wears his emotions on his sleeve a little bit, which is great to hear. He is just an ultimate competitor in my mind. Now, as a Cardinals fan, I watched him in his limited time with the St. Louis organization. Yeah. And to see how far he has grown, not to steal a word from Chris Peterson uh, or two, but he is the OKG. He's an archive. I of thought guy. it was going to be heck. Yeah, right? Oh heck. Um, <laughs> oh, heck. No, Marco Gonzalez is an absolute uh, OKG for the Mariners organization. There was a reason that he and Mitch Hanniger were the two names that they said were off limits this season when they did their rebuild, step back, whatever you want to call it, because he embodies the A, work ethic, B, attitude. Uh, C, I think selflessness. So it was cool to see him have, A, a rocky start and then come back and be triumphant, I think. He's going to have those times during the season where he's going to struggle where his cutter or his secondary pitches aren't, aren't on. But if he can settle down and uh, and and still manage to give them six innings, they got a shot. Yeah, we're going to jump into a breakdown of this game
1: and what we can take away from it later on at seven fifteen. Also with Lydia, can you stick around? Yes, let's thank do you. It. Uh, but let's get into some other news on what's on the timeline. We've got another big contract. So uh, just a day after Mike Trout got all the money in the world, all of it, literally all the money, $430 million at least. Alex Bregman signs a $100 million extension with the Astros. What's the significance of this? Uh, Brent Stecker says it makes it a bit harder for the Mariners to catch up to Houston by 2021.
3: Is it that much of an impact? I think it's more significant for what it means to his commitment to the organization. He is only 24 years old. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to sign this contract yet, And by the end of it, he will be underpaid. Mm -hmm. So he is giving... The Astros So it's a bargain for the essentially, Astros. Essentially, because they're yeah. getting five years on this deal. And that's not necessarily the best peak years of his career because baseball players usually start the best years of their career around 26, 27. So he'll still have a great career probably after this. But it means that he is committed to this organization. And if you've seen any of his interaction just on social media with fans, that, doesn't, that won't surprise you. Uh, I think it 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 was already going to be hard for the Mariners to to catch up with <laughs> right. the Astros so I don't think that this significantly I I really didn't see Bregman going anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So uh, this isn't, to me, in my mind, it's not them adding another piece. Right. That's what I'd be more scared of. It's It's getting someone securing someone. It's adding the Justin Verlanders of the world. They're already going to be the gold standard in this division for the next couple of years. So, yeah, the Mariners have some work to do.
1: For sure. Um, Another signing. This time we're jumping to the NFL. Sorry, not a signing. Another uh, rumored visit. Uh, Seahawks safety Maurice Alexander is visiting the Bills I So I saw this one, and I think that there have been so many things that some of those guys that weren't necessarily starters slip under the radar. Uh, Maurice Alexander dealt with a hip injury, so he wasn't uh, maybe as active as, as he would have liked with Seattle. Right, But this is another one of those signings that I feel like I keep seeing rumors of players that you wouldn't mind retaining if you're Seattle going elsewhere and a better example of this is Nico Thorpe who we've talked about right but do you feel like it's just players are leaving is there a move you're waiting
2: to see well I I think everybody's waiting to see the splash signing with a pass rusher a wide receiver maybe in the secondary someone that people can get excited about but the Seahawks are looking for value and we got into this last night Stacey is that a guy like Jordy Nelson, he doesn't. he's a great receiver that you could add, but also you're missing the special teams element. And Maurice Alexander really didn't play at the safety position, but he was mm-hmm. a contributor on special teams. So this makes me wonder, A, who are they going to sign that can play in the special teams part of the game? Nico Thorpe, those kind of guys. But are they looking to get younger in that aspect as right. well? Are they looking to draft guys that not only do they feel can contribute on the field, In offense and defense, but also that can be really good special teams players. That's what I'm curious about because they're letting. It seems that they're they're letting letting a lot lot of of,
1: special teamers. Yes,
2: yes, and I think it's just got to the point with everything else that those guys are starting to make a little bit too much money. Where now in that realm, they want to start getting younger and start cutting down those salaries.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think you start looking for those guys. What I what I think they're they're going to have to do, honestly if they don't uh, recoup some draft picks or require a lot by trading down, is you're right to lean on young players, namely undrafted rookies, to come on. The hope is that you have guys uh, like Shaquem Griffin that can take some more regular snaps, but right. if not, you've got him there. Um, but you've no longer got a Justin Coleman to take those snaps. You maybe don't have a Nico Thorpe, so maybe you lean into some of those rookies, but what happens if you don't have a star there? I mean, that's where Cam Chancellor started. He was right. a big special teamer. Um, had your, some big, your main hits. curse, exactly. Like, the yep.
2: list goes on, right? yep, and and yep. that's where that's where you have to again. Can you get younger in that position, but not? Because uh, that was a group that at different times was a major flaw in this team, and it and it you know snake bit them a couple times. So can you get younger with also improving that area of the team? I don't know. We'll we'll have to wait and see.
1: And sticking to the NFC West, Kyler Murray. Had a visit with the Cardinals. Jake, ah. are they taking Kyler Murray overall? Can you look into the future and tell me? <laughs> yes,
2: they're going to take him number one. Out. Like, yeah, like this. This to me is very much a no-brainer. Uh, I will be shocked if Josh Rosen is is the starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals come draft day. I just um, feel like
3: what is the we trend barely market knew like for Josh Rosen? Well, and mind. that's
2: that's the interesting thing, Lydia is. Josh Rosen, I've heard a number of different things that his draft value could be extremely high. Uh, I mean, he was a tenth overall pick last year. Sure. Has he significantly dropped that much in one year? I don't know. I mean, he was he was in a horrible offensive situation last year. Yeah. I, I, to me, I don't think that he dropped off that much. So I I still value him as a high first rounder or multiple you know second third round picks. But I've also heard the fact that last year did tank his. This draft stock it's like it's like getting a car buying a brand new car and rolling it off the lot the moment that that car rolls off the lot It depreciates right and and with Josh Rosen that seems to be the overall theme is is that yes his value has depreciated a little bit and I don't know if the Arizona Cardinals are ready to to go that route yet
1: all right we're gonna jump back into some baseball for our 715 segment with Lydia before you start talking about how there's too many games in a season we don't need to get excited yet maybe you were asleep like me, I'm not ashamed to admit it. We're going to find out what we can actually take away from this Mariner's opener. That's coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night.
0: Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Stacy Rost. He's Jake Heaps. We're joined by a special guest, Lydia Cruz of the Blitz and Brock and Salk in the morning on 710 ESPN Seattle. Don't Thank forget
2: the Saturday show.
1: And the Saturday show. Thank you guys. She's everywhere. Wow. Seattle Sports Saturday. It's an intro right there. Thanks you for having me. You guys had an amazing
3: segment the other day about your dream team of all animated characters. We get pretty nerdy. It was in honor technically of Emerald City Comic Con, Yeah, yeah, drafting our best NFL team with... Animated characters, mm-hmm. but it really is just that we're nerds at heart. So.
1: You had some really good Sounds picks, amazing.
3: thank you. Right? Yeah, I'd, I'd like. Who did you to have start. yours? your running back? That's one. Darwin's Darwin, yeah, un- underrated mm-hmm. X Men. Oh, okay, the powers of uh, reactive evolution, which means that he should essentially survive any situation. Yeah, and I was like, right? Uh, like nobody's gonna hit this guy. Nobody. He's just going to run into the end zone every single time. That's so.
2: That's perfect. It right? was an
3: amazing segment. Thank you. You guys, tune in. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. not promising. There's always going to be a,
1: a fantasy draft of yeah. superheroes, but you guys have some really, really cool stuff. Um, we're gonna not do that though. We're gonna get into some Mariners talk. Uh, I can be nerdy about that. Too. Let's do. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. You love the Mariners. I do. You. I read your tweets sometimes. If I'm not checking out the game, I'm like, how can I? What can I take away from this? Oh, here's Lydia Cruz <laughs> breaking it all down for me in either gift form or through some kind of joke. So. So tell us, A, how tired you are and how you're currently still awake, because I don't know, and B, what do we take
3: away from this game? Uh, Well, I'm feeling pretty energized at this point. It might just be strictly the coffee slash energy drinks that I've had, and I might hit a wall. But right now, as of now, (laughs) I'm just going to ride this out and be excited about the fact that baseball is back. I love it. It's back. I love it. Officially. It is. And I think that throughout – the season it's obviously 162 games is a long season and you hear it from baseball players and managers alike. They never want their players to get too high or too low. Never read too much into a certain situation, but you know what? Luckily we aren't players and we aren't coaches. We can we read can get, as much as we We want. can get as excited or as low. As so we what's want. their final record? <laughs> Let's go. Lydia. I think that it's going to be important as a fan this season to get excited about things when you can get excited about them mm-hmm. because they are, they are in an admitted step back year. So I see nothing wrong with finding a half glass full scenario in any possible situation. And I think there were plenty of things that you can grab onto grab a hold of last night, specifically, first of all, putting up nine runs, your offense actually can do some damage here. Granted, you're going yeah. up against a bit of a middling pitcher in Mike and Mike fires and I mean, they do have a pretty dominant bullpen down there in Oakland, but I will say you can still you have the power, and you and as evidenced by Domingo Santana and mm-hmm. his opposite grand field grand slam. But I think the even better sign was the fact that they had six walks last night, yeah. and that this team every single Mariner player either got on base or had an RBI last night. And this is something they really struggled with last year, right? They have right? struggled with in the past, despite the fact that their identity is supposed to be about that. We've mm-hmm. heard this phrase, control the zone, control yeah. the zone from Scott's service, both on the pitching side and on the hitting side. As a hitter, it's essentially, it's pretty you know obvious that you should just not swing at bad pitches, right? Yeah. It seems like it should be obvious. <laughs> yes. But the Mariners were having a lot of problems with that last year.
2: Now, Lydia, let me ask you this. Do you think that that is the case because you had... All-star type of players, guys that had had success, uh, veteran players that believe that they kind of have their own way, their philosophy, and not necessarily totally buying into what Scott Service is saying. Versus this year, you've got young guys, a young group, uh, a new group that is actually buying in. Is that is that kind of what we can take away from Game One to last year?
3: I think that's a really a good point. You have all these guys usually have their own swing coaches, hitting coaches that they work with in the offseason. So a lot of people, if you're older and you're coming into a new system, and maybe a lot of it is data-driven, which Mm -hmm. the the Mariners are very uh, into incorporating data and statistics, you probably aren't going to take that criticism or critique or constructive whatever with the same energy and enthusiasm as young guys are. So uh, absolutely. I think that's one. I think also, too, is just a maturity standpoint. You also had some of these fringe players like Ryan Healy. Um, even D Gordon is not that much older, but you had these guys who still, Healy I look at specifically, needed that step in maturity. He had a rough, a little bit up and down spring, but I think you see him in particular making better decisions at the plate. And if you get someone like that mm-hmm. to not swing at bad pitches, <laughs> and then you can you can still do some damage in the middle and end of your lineup. We'll take a move to, to pitching.
1: Marco Gonzalez was part of an interesting conversation we were all having uh, a couple weeks ago when we all found out Felix Hernandez would not get the start for the first time, what was it, since 2012 yeah, or so? It's been a while. And uh, Seattle would be leaning on Marco Gonzalez, who got his first-ever career opening day start. He spoke with uh, you guys this morning on Brock and & Salk and was pretty frank about how he felt.
2: Throughout the day today, I was kind of expecting to be a little overwhelmed emotionally and leading up the game, I felt great. I, I never, didn't feel any of that. I was locked in, ready to go. And, um, the moment I stepped on the mountain, the first, I, I was very aware of where I was and what I was doing. And so I was, I was jittery excited and just trying to embrace all those emotions and use it. And, uh, and try and try to make something out of it and go pitch. So Gonzalez
1: pitched a full six innings, uh, had four strikes allowed, three earned runs with a four or five ERA. Uh he gave up four of those runs, three earned runs, in the first three innings, and then gave up just one hit over the next three. So uh I've heard uneven as as a description of it, but um, I, I want to know how we can look at this game, what we can make of his performance, um, because I'm assuming that this is someone Seattle's looking to to be the next ace.
3: I think that you relied on Felix for so long to be that guy, but his came from pure talent yeah. in a lot of mm-hmm. ways and a competitive spirit. He's absolutely a competitor. But Marco, on the other side of things, I'm not saying he is incredibly talented as well, but what he lacks in just the pure raw ability, generational talent Uh, between the disparity between Felix in his prime and Marco is the fact that uh, he makes up for that in his competitive spirit. And that's what I think you saw last night as a pitcher. Some days your stuff is not going to work. Your pitch, your cutter is not going to cut the way you want to. Your ball is not moving. Your spin rate is not spinning whatever it is, and you're figuring it out a lot of times in the first inning. That's why if you look at Major League Baseball, there are so many runs scored in the first inning because pitchers are off balance. They're trying to figure it out. Hitters are taking advantage of that. Then oftentimes they settle down there, and then by the third time through the lineup is when things get crazy Mm -hmm. again offensively. Yeah. But, But if you can have the mental strength to battle through that, and you also have the support of your teammates who give you run support, as the Mariners did for Marco in that game, uh, I think that's a good sign especially since this is a guy you're looking to build around.
2: Yeah. Who's the who's the one guy that from their performance last night that you look at and go wow that was that was pretty incredible. I I wasn't expecting that out of this person or who who just was the star in your mind uh from last night's game?
3: It's hard not to mention Tim Beckham because it, dude went the, the bat flip. I mean right? I that's well, my reasoning yes. selfishly. Uh, <laughs> I know. Bat flip like Beckham is like my new favorite. Oh, I there, you sh- go. there should be a movie. But he... Went- also
1: starring Kieran. Lee.
3: <laughs> right? <laughs> he went three for three, uh, had, let's see... Okay, three for three, three runs, two RBI. He is a former first-round pick overall, first overall. So when you look at it in that context, in his career, he's somewhat underperformed. Yeah. Because he is 29 at this point, and he was a free agent signing by the Mariners for a pretty reasonable, I think, $1.75 million. So it it's not surprising when you consider his raw skills... But I think it's surprising from a Mariners standpoint, because really, I think they view him as sort of a stopgap until J.P. Crawford can come up through the minors and give you more consistency on the offensive side of things. Yeah. But what if he's actually great and uh, he is either a piece that you can trade off at the deadline and get something valuable for him or or you make him a part of your organization in the future? Who knows? Mm-hmm. It's uh, So that was the biggest, probably just pleasant surprise for me and also is... His on-the-field interview with Shannon Dreher after Mm -hmm. the game, I thought was wonderful. He was was all about the team, just wanted to talk about, well, this is a team win. Didn't really, you know, make it about himself. That was cool. There's lots of intrigue around new
1: faces, new players on this team that will make for an interesting season. Before you leave, I want to have you chime in on an interesting conversation both Jake and I had and Curtis and I had (laughs) separately. You are... A positive person, but also I think someone that sees a big picture and, and pretty pragmatic in a way. So uh, I want to have you talk about the debate about Ichiro starting because it wasn't just Ichiro starting for Curtis. It was that the Mariners weren't sticking with their plan to give young guys opportunities. Um, both Jake and I said, hey, that's not always going to happen. Um it's if it was an opening day here, you you wouldn't maybe expect that to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, is this a team that is going to have to be malleable as the season goes and have and have to go with the flow? You are. Are you going to be sticking with your plan no matter what? Where does the line where do you draw the line between we're sticking with our plan and then just giving up wins? I mean, this is an interesting yeah. season
3: in that way. Yeah. Well, I think they were saying that he he was definitely gonna get the start. I think they were clear that he wasn't going to finish that game. Mm -hmm. But he was it was a lot of it was ceremonial. Right. So I think also instead of saying young players, give young players opportunity, I think you have to make sure to mention give players who are giving their maximum effort opportunity. Because I think that is the difference when seen when compared to Felix Hernandez, right? Because a lot of people are using those examples and saying, well you might as well why aren't you giving Felix Opening day start because ceremonial wise and everything he's given to the organization over the time, exactly. And you can honor him, but I think also the the difference is that is Ichiro, whether he has the like pure talent at age 45 at this point, is he out there every single day trying to improve, trying to give his every single effort?
2: That's a really good point. Is
3: Felix out there every single day trying to give? his very best effort and be a clubhouse presence. So I think that they technically are still sticking with their plan in their mind, which is to give it to somebody who has max effort and to honor their contributions to the team. Yeah. Thank you, Lydia, so Thank much you. for joining us. You guys can Thank check out you. Lydia every single weekday morning,
1: six a.m. on the Blitz, and then she joins Brock and Sock starting at seven from seven to ten. And don't forget, you can check her, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. and Taylor Jacobs. Yeah, every Saturday morning. Do you guys start at ten? <sighs> we start at nine. Nine. I'm, oh, that's too it's, early. I know. It's it's all the right. good thing is you can listen without having to you leave your podcast bed. It we can, can yeah, you can don't podcast it later, it. <laughs> or you can don't even you don't even have to put on pants. Just tune oh yeah tune no in judgment. and listen. I don't have to go anywhere to listen to you guys. No judgment. All right, next up, me and Jake are going to jump into some NFL talk. We had a really interesting conversation yesterday when we were talking about Pete Carroll and his relationship with Seahawks players as they're heading out. So we're going to explore that conversation more next on Seattle Sports at Night.
0: You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Stacy Ross. He's Jake Heaps. Don't forget you can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. Coming up next, we're going to explore four football questions with four down territory. That's in 15 minutes. But right now, I want to get into a conversation. It wasn't so much a debate. It was just a really interesting conversation uh, that Jake and I were having yesterday. And it's a conversation that's not unfamiliar to... Seahawks fans in general and NFL fans and players as a whole. Um, And that's a conversation about coaching styles. So it came about, obviously, uh, who did Earl Thomas do an interview with recently? Was it Peter King?
2: It was Peter King, yeah.
1: Did an interview with Peter King where he was finally asked who he was flipping off at the sidelines when he was injured in that Arizona game that ended his season slash career in Seattle. And he said it was Pete Carroll. And I think that I just actually assumed it was John Schneider, fairly or not. I just assumed, yeah, I assumed that it was because it was a contractual issue. I assumed that it was, you know, being mad at someone that has a control over contracts. Obviously, Pete Carroll's involved with personnel too. Yes, uh, in a unique situation, but but I assumed that it was the general manager for that reason. I don't know that it really, really changed my opinion to hear that it was directed at Pete Carroll, but it certainly made me wonder how and why a lot of these relationships sour at the end of their tenure. We've seen it end last year with Richard Sherman, um, who who said he still has no bad blood for Pete Carroll, but that the Seahawks had lost their way.
2: There was a heck of a lot of him coming out and saying that and what he said on the way out the door uh definitely doesn't go to show that like yeah. there were a lot of things that were pointed at one person and one person specifically and that was Pete Carroll and a little bit of John Schneider but who set the culture who was the guy that came exactly. in here and changed everything it was Pete and he was the one that set the standard for these for these guys when they first came into this league
1: and i don't i don't think it's a bad thing it's just an interesting way to coach and it's something that Pete Carroll like it or not it's something that's given him a lot of his success has, I think, resulted in the tumultuous uh, way that some of those relationships have ended, and I think lends itself to the debate about whether or not it's better to be a player-friendly coach or to be a coach that runs uh, almost a a military-like system, like a Bill Belichick. You never hear much about hurt feelings in New England because I think people just understand it is what it is. It, it's, they'll let you walk unless yeah. you're Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll let you go. Pretty maybe much. Julian Edelman, maybe?
2: Maybe a little bit, but I, I, you know, Julian is definitely a guy in that conversation. But again, they're not going to be held hostage by Julian Edelman. If Julian Edelman came in and said, I want an insane amount of money, they'd say, okay, sweet, goodbye. But Julian understands that uh, there's only a certain amount that he can ask for, and and that he's going to try and get the most that he can out of the situation, but it stops at a certain point. Yeah. Um. And and so when I look at Pete Carroll's style, it's one that I love as a player. As a player, going from the Jets to where I mean. Gosh, that, that yeah, what was that felt... shift
1: like when it comes to behind the scenes like it, it, from a player perspective? Yeah.
2: It, the the culture that was there in the Jets. And bear in mind now, the, the Jets, when I was there, they had a very successful year it was the year that Fitz, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Geno Smith breaks his jaw. Ryan Fitzpatrick steps mm-hmm. in and he throws for 30 touchdowns on the year. Uh, Eric Decker, Brandon Marshall. They have a... Oh, I forgot un- Eric un-
1: Decker was there. Uh, yeah,
2: unbelievable season, right? Uh, on offense. And... Um, but the culture there was completely dead. It was very businesslike. It was very um, cutthroat and dull. Like there was no real relationships so, and bonds that were being made outside of a couple people. Everybody stuck to their own, and there wasn't like this intermingling of uh, you know, qu- you know, quarterbacks and defensive guys, or defensive guys and receivers. It was just like everybody was in their own lane. Darrell Revis. He just showed up, went, did his thing. His his boy was Antonio Cromartie, and they kind of stuck around each other. But everybody was in their own little deal, and it was just like, okay, well, this must be how professional football is played. Everybody's out for themselves. They play on a team. I'm in a business right. now, and I'm,
1: this is a business environment.
2: Exactly. And, and so it just, from all the experiences that I had of a team, it was not that feeling. Um, and it was just very sterile that way. And then, uh, and, and it puts you on edge as a player because you just don't know. Every single day, you have no idea what's going to happen. And when you go to Seattle on the flip side, all of a sudden, there is this team, this camaraderie, this bond that you feel from the coaching staff, from the GM. John Schneider is actually talking to you. Where I remember Mike McKagan walking by him in the hall, and it was like the Grim Reaper was in the hall, and I just couldn't wait to get past him. You know, uh, and and he didn't want anything to do with me or any other player. That's a moment where you take out your
1: phone and you pretend you're on your phone, but you're not (laughs) on your phone. That's
2: right. Let me check my texts again. All of them are red. There's something really interesting going on out the window. Yeah, Uh, but then you got John Schneider who comes up to you and asks you how you doing, and, and 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 knows, yeah, hey brother, you know, and and knows details about your life. Like huge difference, right? Um, And then the players, the players in Seattle, they treated it like a brotherhood. I mean, truthfully, it was the closest thing that I had felt since my days in high school. That's how oh, close wow. that bond was with the guys on the team. Uh And it was really remarkable. And it really it was kind of spearheaded by the L.O.B., the Legion of Boom. They were so close and so connected, and they made everybody else feel that way. Um and and so when you create an environment like that it's incredible and you know Pete style it's it's awesome but what he does do is he allows you to be who you are regardless of what it is he's going to allow you to be who you are and they're really not going to try and nitpick or criticize what you say in public how you go about things unless it's extremely detrimental to the team and even then it's like okay we're going to have these side conversations in coach Carroll's office but amongst the team You're not going to get called out. You're not going to get criticized, you know, uh, and it's just very much that way. So the players are very empowered to be who they are. And I think as a young guy, a guy who's trying to crack this roster and figure themselves out in this league, can I play at a high level and compete with these other guys? It's extremely empowering and an incredible environment to be in. On the flip side now, we talk about this, it's like having kids – and you're empowering them to be their own person and, and who they are. And and it's not that they don't have discipline. It's just that, you know, it's structured, but you're not really. It's different. It's different, right? Now they grow up and now they're empowered. They feel like they have a voice. They also realize that there are there are certain things in who you are as a person that might be flawed or the system or the way that things are going. And they call you out on it. And they're upset, and they express their opinions. And so it kind of backfires on you in a way. And that's how I kind of feel how this whole thing has shifted with the elite defensive players uh, that played uh, for Pete Carroll in the Super Bowl runs and, and towards the end into 2016. The Michael Bennetts, the Earl Thomas's Cam Chancellor. Cam, you know, with the holdout, but outside mm-hmm. of that, he was great. Um, you know, Richard, uh, you know, there, there's all these guys that um, – want a piece of the pie and and feel like they should be appreciated at the highest level and contract negotiations aren't going the way that they want the team the direction of it isn't going the way that they were brought up and it and it creates a level of concern on their end that they're not a they're not afraid to voice their opinion
1: no it's it's so interesting and an interesting topic to me because it's not a coaching style that I disagree with uh i think it's it's not new but still pretty innovative. I think the idea is that what can you do when you have, when you focus on the mentality of a player, right? Obviously, you want to focus on getting everyone in the best physical shape that they can be. But when you get to the NFL, the difference between the best team and the worst team is not that much. Correct. You're no longer, um, you know, Alabama coming in and, and dominating over some no-name school. Um, you are the top players from from your college, the best players on any college team. Uh, that have made it, and even then some of them don't make it. Yeah. So when you have that small of a difference between talent level, it really becomes important that you're in the right headspace, mm-hmm. that you feel supported, that you feel like you can take a risk, and if you make a mistake, you're not going to be cut tomorrow, that you feel like you're playing for something or someone versus playing for your next contract. Little things like that do make a difference in, in how sure you are with your tackling, for instance, and yeah. and how how comfortable you feel taking a risk with a certain pass, I think that all of that led to Pete Carroll fostering the the talent. I don't think Pete Carroll just built these guys from the ground up. These were all pro-caliber guys that were going to be pro bowlers no matter what team they went to.
2: Well, there was a combination of identifying these guys, right. an incredible job identifying them between Pete and John, finding the right fit and talent. And then taking over and, and coaching them. And the letting head. them be yeah, being exactly. who they are. yeah.
1: And it's doing that that lets them form those relationships with each other. And it is a relatively unique environment, especially in 2013. Because I think since then, a lot of programs have, have seen what the Seahawks do. It's not weird anymore to play music at practice. Right.
2: There's so many. I, I, I'm just telling you right now, Stacy. across high school, college football, um, and even into the mm-hmm. NFL, there are so many people that try to be like Pete Carroll, it, especially college football. Everywhere, all the top programs, they are all playing music. They're all fun. They're all energetic. They're they are trying to create this environment, this Pete Carroll way that he has established. And so, I mean, his coaching style is felt dramatically. It's a huge ripple across, you know, football on all levels.
1: Yeah, no, and I, uh, I want to continue this conversation because uh, we're going to talk about how that coaching style works when you try to maintain it over a long period of time, whether or not you can do that, uh, what, if anything, uh, Pete Carroll is or can do to adapt and, mm-hmm. and to make sure that players like a Russell Wilson uh, or even like a Doug Baldwin, Bobby Wagner, can stay in that system and flourish for more than five, six, seven, eight years Yeah, uh, and can have that relationship end in a pretty productive way. We're going to get back to that next on Seattle Sports at Night.
0: You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Stacy Rost here with Jake Heaps. We're going to ask Jake four football questions next with four down territory. We've got some interesting ones. Tate Martell, talking about him, talking some, some UW football. But right now, we're going to continue our conversation about Coaching culture. One reason that uh, the player-friendly coaching style is so fascinating to me, and why Pete Carroll's style is fascinating to me, is really a personal reason. Okay. And it's not. This is not insight that I have from from talking to players in the locker room, engaging how how happy or not happy they are, um, especially older players with this system. It's not from that. It's from my own perspective of, uh, having had a similar culture when I was in high school. Um, it was a really interesting project that they did. Um, and it took over the entire school and a lot of what they wanted to do was the same kind of thing. It's just the best example I can think of, right? I've never been a pro player, but, but the idea of building a culture and, and fostering those relationships is really fascinating to me for this reason. Yeah. Yeah. When I started out, it felt so cool to feel like you were part of something. I was really excited about it. Um, we were promoting not just the school, but our ideas. We had this big platform um, around social justice issues because you all got like a theme. And it was really, really cool. I think what happens in some of those cultures is that when you get older, the same, hearing the same thing over and over and over again, doesn't work for you. Yeah. And I do think to be fair, we've heard some of that sentiment, at least from Richard Sherman, that hearing the same thing over and over and over again yeah. when you're a 6 or 7 year veteran gets old.
2: Well, Michael Bennett, right? Like at some point he said that look, I've heard this over and over and I just started reading books during team meetings.
1: Yeah. Because for you you don't need it anymore. I think I think there are a couple things that that we did and I felt like worked and I don't know how you do that in the NFL. One of the things we did was to give uh, more to basically adapt more leadership roles for older people in that program. Mm -hmm. You don't need to hear why you should be there anymore. You need to feel like you uh, almost like you've purchased stock in this program. I want to feel like I'm personally invested. I don't want to feel like I need to prove myself. I feel like I've proven myself. I want you to be honest with me. Mm -hmm. I want you to be transparent with me. I'm not a kid anymore. You know, for a lot of these guys, it's, I have a wife. I have kids. I've been in this program. I know it's a business. I recognize that my next contract and my third deal isn't going to be as big. I recognize that other guys are going to come in, and they're going to pass me, and they're going to be quicker, and they're going to recover faster. But if I'm going to love this program and feel invested and have a transition to the later stages of my NFL career, or a transition out of the NFL, that's easier for me. Yeah, I want it to be in a way where I get to develop that relationship, and that relationship grows. Because if it doesn't grow and it doesn't change, it doesn't feel genuine.
2: It, well, it's it's interesting. I, I I love the perspective on that because I think that there's a lot of sentiment w- with what happened with some of those older elite players, um, and you look at the guys that are still around, like a Russell, like a Bobby, a KJ why are those guys around the other guys aren't it's because not because that they're not willing they don't want the big contracts because they do it's because that they're wired to be more consistent they want consistency right there was a great article last year that talked about bobby wagner and his his uh routine uh during the season oh eating oatmeal every
1: morning same time literally the same same place yeah
2: over and over and over again because it's a routine i like it Mm -hmm. and 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 Pete, just knowing him and the way he has installed this program, it is very much college style from russell or from what Richard said, and I don't think it's a bad thing, but it it has its it has its flaws to some degree with some of those older players. He wants the young guys the rookies he wants it to be very very clear how the Seahawks play football right. Any new free agent that's coming in from the first time, whether they're a 10-year vet or a undrafted, uh, you know, uh, but he makes sure that those guys know exactly the way it's supposed to go because he wants them to conform to what has already been established with this team. So the focus is more on those younger guys and the new guys instead of the older guys, right, and making sure that though that message that he has still resonates with the older guys. What you're talking about, what you mentioned earlier, is at some point those other guys are like, well, I want more. I want right. something different. I want something that's directly connected to me and if what you're we're telling doing me. I'm part right of the
1: system. I want the system to work with me and 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 help me grow, evolve, evolve yeah.
2: with me, right? And and I think that uh, it's a great way to look at that and point that. I my counter argument to that is, you know, as P evolves with those guys then his original message might not be the same with the younger guys and the and the new guys that are in that program. So that's where you can kind of lose the essence or the original message uh, of, of what started this whole thing to begin with, right? Um, you add on top of that, these elite guys uh, wanting to get paid as much as they wanted to get paid. Mm-hmm. They wanted to feel like they were uh, one of the more, more important figureheads in the program, right? Uh, you start adding all these components together. Uh, it, it, it adds this incredible melting pot, of uh, personalities and, and egos and, uh, and, and belief systems of how things should go. And so I, I look at, I look at coach Carroll's philosophy and I think there's so many, I think there's more positives than negatives, way more positive than negatives. But I think that that's kind of what it leads to is what Mm -hmm. we've seen is some of these guys get empowered, feel that way, they get older, then they start believing that there's a better way to go about it or the right way. And you're deviating from the plan and they're going to call you out on it. They're not going to fully buy into your direction and where you're going. And so that's where the NFL that always stands not for long. And so it's unique to have yeah. those elite players for as long as they did because the turnover is always usually so much given every year, every two, every three years on a roster. Um, and, and that feeds into, again, the positives of what Coach Carroll's program is like. If that's that's the norm, then that turnover actually benefits you. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ran into an unnormal uh, situation um, for them going into this philosophy. I look at Mike Tomlin with the Pittsburgh Steelers being a player friendly coach the thing that is missing from him that I don't think that uh Pete Carroll has the same problem with is discipline I don't I think mike Tomlin runs a looser ship because that's Pete one Carroll.
1: critique that Pete Carroll has gotten a lot and I agree I don't know that discipline is as big of an issue as people think it is i think people have looked at some unique cases and and yeah. we've talked about it here at 710 right we are not innocent we've Uh, broken down you know what's happening with Earl Thomas in practice and what's happening there and and we've certainly been a part of those conversations but if you tell me I'm buying into a program and if I get to the NFL and I know it's a business and you get me to believe in it and I'm I'm a smart person I'm a smart player but if you get me to believe in this and buy in and then you tell me that I can't have an opinion when you've been telling me for years that mine is valued it's just a really tricky line to walk it's Pete Carroll I think Part of getting this program to work is if everyone buys in, you have to buy in hundred percent. If you don't, it doesn't work. And if you buy in, how do you keep it to where it's your rules hundred percent of the time?
2: Yeah. How do the, you do that? Yeah, that's that's the that's the interesting and fascinating part about this. I, I you know Richard uh, was quoted saying, "I believe that the Seahawks have lost their way," and knowing some of the conversations that have happened or the sentiment there. Uh, not just from Richard, but other guys on the team is, look, Pete, you came in from the very beginning. You taught us the Seahawk way. You established the culture, this competitive, always compete environment, giving everything you have to each other in this team. And we bought in and we were able to create something special, something that very few can ever say that's been done, especially in this franchise. Then they start feeling that as they've gotten older and as veterans, they start seeing the way that they were brought up through this organization and then starting to see the shift and change in some of the decision making or the way things are done. And then all of a sudden they're going, wait a second. I'm invested. I want this thing to be the best it can possibly right. be. I want to get back to the Super Bowl. And I don't Bowl.
1: think you would have made this decision three years ago. Exactly. Or I don't think you would have made this decision when I was first here.
2: Yes. And I think that also stems to, yes, you can point to the money, you can point to the contracts, you can point to all that. But I think that's one element that was severely underlooked and undervalued uh, was 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 with those conversations and with that philosophy the biggest one that you will always go back to because it was the biggest ripple. Um, was it the most impactful one? Uh, who knows? The story is never written, but Cason Williams, oh, yeah. right? Uh, balls out in preseason. Everyone, was the
1: story of preseason. Pr- story I feel like of we couldn't stop writing about him.
2: Works, works his way up, scoring touchdowns. Local guy. Make, make, local guy, all this kind of stuff, right? And a guy who's been on your practice squad for two years, so has worked and earned his way up to this situation. And ultimately gets cut, and that was probably the biggest. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a, a guy that was trying to crack the roster get cut and the the star players on the team uh, are emotional defending, yeah, and defending Cason Williams. I don't know if you've ever seen that across the National Football League to that magnitude, and I think that right there speaks volumes to that particular case of what I'm talking about is in that case some of those elite guys the the bigger voices on the team felt that the team did not stick to the always compete philosophy Kaysen, if you look at just production in the loan in the preseason and training camp he earned a roster spot but they made a decision based on other factors well and
1: more importantly one of those factors was draft capital how much draft stock do we have invest in another player who i think at the time was amara darbo yes um and it would have been uh you know an unfortunate move to to cut a draft pick a third rounder yes in favor of someone who is on your practice squad so I think that's where a lot of that came from too
2: yes and and that's where you hear the I, I believe they lost their way that's just that's not the only thing uh, that's not the only example but that's the biggest one that you could point to and show uh, the reaction that other players had Uh, and really get a sense of the sentiment that they were feeling. So uh, there's a lot of elements to this. There there's so many things that you could dive into. But like I said, I believe that Pete Carroll's philosophy has way more pros than cons. Uh, I believe it's a player-friendly environment. Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll have two opposite ways of going about it. I think they're both extremely successful. I think Pete Carroll's philosophy just fosters opportunity for more dissension than a Bill Belichick, because simply Bill will not allow it. You are gone before you even mm-hmm. get that chance. And when you enter the door, every single big personality that you've ever seen come through there, they know from the jump what they're getting into. Whereas in Seattle, they know that they can go to Seattle and feel empowered and and feel welcomed and feel appreciated because they're embraced for who they are. So it's completely different.
1: Coming up next, we're going to get into four down territory. We've got four big questions for Jake Heaps to answer. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night.